My name is Anthony Desiato. For over 10 years, I shopped, worked, and hung out at a comic book store in Westchester, New York, called Alternate Realities. It was the best after-school job a kid who loved comics could possibly ask for. More than a job, it was a clubhouse, a second home. Alternate Realities closed in 2015, but even though my comic shop is history, there's a whole world of stores out there. This season, on My Comic Shop History, I am bringing those stores, the business, the culture, and the fandom, to you as I speak to retailers around the country. Be part of the journey. Welcome to My Comic Shop History, Season 3. I am your host, Anthony Desiato. My Comic Shop History is back with a new mission to explore comic shops around the country. And to kick off the season, I decided to uh, stay close to home and visit beautiful downtown Harrison, New York. I am here at All Yeah Comics, recording with Mark Hammond. Mark, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So I'm very excited to be here and, and to, to finally get you on the show and, and, and talk about All Yeah Comics. Now... Oh Yeah is not just the name of the store. It's not just the name of the line of comics that your partners create. I know it is the, the slogan, the encapsulation of the fun and enthusiasm that you guys inject this store with. It's our aloha. It's, um, so let me give you just a, a, a brief uh, background on that. So two of my business partners who co-own uh, two of the three stores with us are Art Baltazar and Franco, who are the, um, the writers and artists behind like DC's Tiny Titans, uh, Dark Horse's Itty Bitty Hellboy, they've done Patrick the Wolfboy. They've actually done a ton of different stuff. I've known them for about 12 years now, and anybody who's met Art knows that he is a living cartoon character who speaks in catchphrase. And the, the catchphrase that they espouse the most often is, is oh yeah, man, uh, which is, like I said, it's our aloha, it's our hello, it's our goodbye, it's hey, things are awesome, it's hey, see you later, it's whatever, it's an all-purpose uh, like MacGuffin uh, of an exclamation that we use, and it's kind of infectious if you hang out with any of us for a certain amount of time it tends to enter your lexicon whether you realize it or not i used to joke that you could go to an artist alley where they were set up and you could say uh you'd be 20 yards away from their artist alley table and just yell oh yeah man and they would yell it right back to you and then look up to see who said it so it's um when we decided to open our first store before we made any announcement we were just telling friends and family like hey we're gonna open up a comic shop every every single person was like let me guess oh yeah comics of course it's all yeah comics. 
Of course. Well, it works for you guys. And I think it's very fitting that Oh Yeah Comics is kicking off this season of My Comic Shop History uh, for a couple of reasons. Like I said, this is in my backyard. So we're in Harrison, New York and Westchester. Uh, I live in White Plains, very close by. I don't buy comics on as regular a basis as I used to. So I don't have a pull here, but I do come when I can. I'd like to get here even more often, to be honest. Um, but this is the shop that's closest to me. And I have to admit, this this store does allow me to cheat a little bit for this season of the podcast because we are in Harrison, but this is not the only location of All Yeah Comics. There are locations in uh, Skokie, Illinois, and Muncie, Indiana. Yep, just north of Chicago is our Skokie store, and just north of Indianapolis is our Muncie store. So for subsequent episodes of this podcast, I will actually be traveling to, uh, to other stores around the country. But just starting off with All Yeah made sense to me because you guys do have a presence in other parts of the country. Mm-hmm. And kind of on that note, this, this might be a little bit of a dry technical question, but the lawyer and amateur businessman in me is a little curious. So again, you have the, the three different stores. I'm curious what the ownership structure is for these various stores. Because as I understand it, and correct me if I'm wrong, there are some owners... Uh, who own all of the stores and then some who are unique to individual locations. Oh, How does no. it work? Each, no, each, each one of the stores is a completely separate entity. Oh, like we, see, share, I didn't know we that. share, we share the name and we share the branding, but, uh, the Skokie store, it is, there's four of us. There's Art Baltazar, Franco, uh, Kurtwood and myself, all four of us are all also partners in this store, but we have additional silent partners. Um, Mark Wade is one of them. Mike Nagan, who runs C2E2 for Read Pop is one of them. Uh, the Muncie store is Christy Blanche. She owns that one. Uh, she's solo on that. She owns it. She runs it. She's awesome. Um, we've known Christy for a long time. There's actually even even more of a reason that you should be here. It's it's fortuitous that you're in the store. Um, so anybody who's listened for the to the, the first two seasons of my comic shop history knows all about alternate reality. Indeed. Well, the bones of that store are in this store. When Steve was closing that store down. Our friend Mike Pellerito from Archie Comics, you know, uh, told Steve. Uh, well, actually, Franco and I had already told Steve that we were opening up, but Steve gave us like all of the slat wall that's in our store is from Alternate Realities, and our showcase over there, and all of our hooks are actually from him. They he uh, we had some of our own already, and he gave us all of his rather than just throwing away. So there are parts of this store that are from AR. Yes, I kind of on that note, I wanted to bring that up and I'm glad you did because I met you as you were setting up the store and it was shortly after AR closed. I was just coming off of my store, uh, going up to that big back issue, been in the sky. Uh, I had done a season of the podcast, eulogizing the store and I came in here to meet you and to uh, sell you some trade paperbacks (laughs) as I was. (laughs) I remember. Yes. I think I still have a few here and there. Yeah, I see. I think, I think a bunch have gone, but I I see some of them there. Yeah. I'm always worried I'm going to end up rebuying something that I, <laughs> if I ever do that, please stop I will me. never let you buy a book from me that I know I bought from you first. <laughs> I'll sell you something else. But I came here and two things struck me. One was I, I did feel at home because we were literally sitting on chairs from alternate reality. So chairs that I had sat on for years in this uh, soon to be born store. But the other thing was I, I really felt a pretty instant kinship with you, sir. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, is, we hit it off pretty quickly. Yeah, and I mean, your your experience on the retail side of this dwarfs mine uh, considerably, and I want to talk about your, your comic shop history, um, but maybe because we've both spent time behind the counter, and I think mostly because of, of, of you. <laughs> um, again, I felt that kinship, and I've, I've seen the way you've interacted with, with customers uh, in person and online, and uh, I, I think it's very fair to say that's a big reason of, of why there are three locations and oh, well, um, why you guys are here. Thank you. That's really flattering. Um, I, I love what I do. Uh, we all do, and and uh, all of my partners, 
no matter who they are, everybody that's a, a partner in any of our stores is a comic book professional in one way or the other, either on the publishing side of things, on the creative side of things, or on the retail side of things. And all of us, none of it are doing it. Uh, none of us are doing it to get rich. That would be great. But we we're doing it because we love comics, because we love comic fans, because we love the characters, but uh, even more so because we love what those characters mean to people. And uh, so, yeah. No, so thank you. That, that's nice. Oh, of course. So, you know, I want to talk a lot more about Aw Yes specifically, but before we get to that, uh, like I said before, your comic shop history. I know you've been doing this a long time. You've been on the retail side and, and a fan and collector before that, correct? So, so how I'm, did you get into this? I'm almost 39 years old, and I actually learned to read with comic books. I, um, my mother would buy, like, beat up comics from the local... So I'm, I'm from Florida, and there it's a there was a chain. It's not around anymore. It's called Cumberland Farms. It was a it was a dairy that opened like a series of convenience stores, and everyone had that that hey kids comics spinner, right? And you know that was back when people could like those types of stores could send comics back to the publisher. Our local guy never did ever. Uh, he would he would take them off the shelves and he would throw them in this box, this ratty box that he kept in the back room because we were always trying to convince him to let us go back to the box. And once a year, he would put a little card table out in front of the store and he would put this box on it and you could go through it and you could get anything that was in there for 10 cents a piece. And um, so we would buy all of our new... This is before I even knew that there were comic book stores. And it turned out, oddly enough, there was one less than a mile from my house, but we just <laughs> never went to that plaza. So um, my mother, you know helped teach me to read with comic books with Archie and with Spider-Man. And she bought me a brand new dictionary and a stack of not brand new comics and a highlighter. Uh, and I would, I would try to read the words. And every time I came up against a word that I didn't know, I'd highlight it. And when she had time later on, we would look it up. And that's where I, I, I make the joke. That's where I get my spectacular vernacular. Um, all of my vocabulary comes from comics. <laughs> Quite a bit from uh, Chris Claremont's, um, X-Men run and Burns Fantastic Four run. A lot of signs there. A lot of pseudo science there. I I got out of high school and I ended up working at a store off International Drive, which is right near Universal Studios in Orlando. And it was mostly like a Star Trek and Star Wars store catering to tourists, but we also did comic books. But I'd been reading consistently since I was a kid. But I've been doing I've been in comics retail since ninety nine, so almost twenty years. Yeah, that's quite I, the career. <laughs> I worked at a store just outside of Orlando for almost 11 years. And then I moved from there to Chicago to open our Skokie store and then from there to here. Yeah, you're quite the journeyman retailer. I, I am I am interested in this. The fact that you've, you know, you've lived and, and run comic shops in, in, in all these different places. In, in different parts of the country. Well, like originally I wanted like every two or three years I wanted to open a, a new store in a different place. And not to say that we won't. Maybe eventually I I uh, I'm maybe you know a little bit older than I was when I first had that idea. Yeah, this is kind of <laughs> looking rough. This is kind of looking ahead a bit. We can touch on it more later. But I mean, as far as what the future might hold for All Yeah Comics, if you decided you guys were going to open another location, do you think you would be the person to go and set it up, or do you think you're you're planted here for for I'm I'm good? here for the foreseeable future. I mean, probably not for good. I think um, there are still other parts of the country that I want to live in. I don't necessarily know that I'll go open a store there, but. I, you know, we never know. We never know what's gonna what the future holds for any of the stores. Uh, but in addition to running the store, I also do retailer outreach for Archie Comics. So I kind of doubled down on living in, in New York. I don't think that that's a job that I could do if I didn't, you know, have to go into the Archie office from time to time. So, but yeah, it, it's interesting too because I've I've now run stores in three very different markets. 
uh, Chicago and New York and Florida are very like different. Like they have their own similarities here and there, but everything has its own taste. Right. So. Yeah, I am curious what you could share about your experience at, e- at each of those places or anything, anything in particular that really, really defined those stores for you. Um, uh, Florida has a huge audience for toys. Um, and in fact, like a lot of tourists uh, who, who come specifically to Orlando to buy toys. So it's a great comic town. You've got Coliseum of Comics there, which is a chain, a comic shop, which is very social media savvy. Plus they have their like their bar behind the scenes, the, um, the Geek Easy. Gods and Monsters is there now, and they're definitely toy and statue heavy. So it's, it's, a, it's a great town for comics, um, but it's also a great town for toys. And um, Chicago, not quite as much. Because you don't get the same amount of tourists coming from around. Like, uh, we had quite a few people in Florida that were coming up from South America specifically to buy and bring the stuff back. Okay. In Chicago, Chicago has God. It's it was it was a completely different world when I went there because there's so many creators, like amazing creators that live in Chicago. Brian Nazarello's there. Jill Thompson's there. Gene Haas there. Tim Seeley, Mike Norton, like all these people are there, and they have a much better independent comic scene than Florida does. Um. You have several stores there that that's all they do. They don't even carry Marvel DC. So, but you also have like Chicago Comics. That's one of the oldest, you know, most prestigious stores in the, in the country is there. So it's, but it, it's definitely more of a, a comic heavy town. Like people like toys and sashes there too, but they, they're right. there for comics. New York is a weird mix of both. Uh, and, and again, some of the best stores in the country are here. So I am constantly, it's interesting. I don't have uh, confidence problems at all. I'll talk to anybody and I feel pretty confident about what we do. Every once in a while, I'll look at one of the stores around here, like, you know, I'll look, check out their social media or an event they're doing, and I'm like, oh, God, I'm not very good at what I do. How do I get better at what I do? <laughs> and I've been doing this for a lot, but it's, it's that theory that you want to keep getting better all the time. You want to, uh, you can always learn new things. And this store has really, really taught me that. So uh, I'm not predisposed to be good at social media. Um, I had to really learn that. And and I really had to learn that here. So, yeah. well, I see you posting up a storm. So you've, uh, you've clearly gotten comfortable with it. Uh, On the note, though, of uh, of other stores that that you might look to, I know in the past we've spoken about Acme Comics in North Carolina. Lord Retail store, yes, sir. Lord Retail got a text from from Lord Retail, Jermaine, mm-hmm. right as we started to record, right after I posted on Facebook that we were about to record. So I don't know what this might be. Uh, let's see. Talking about you, sir. How you are highly regarded in the industry, loved by your customers in multiple states. Your stories are about fantastic customer interactions or inspirational reads on days when the world gets us down as retailers. And he says, you can quote me on that. Um, That's high praise from, from Lord Retail. Wow. I know a lot of retailers. And I, there are a lot of retailers that I really respect and I'm really inspired by. And Jermaine is in like that top three, probably. And we actually met... I'm trying to remember how we met. It had to have been on Facebook through somebody else. Uh, but we met and, and we're talking for two or three years before we ever met in person. And even now, we've only seen each other in person maybe four times. Um, you know, different conventions. I was When I was driving from Florida up to New York, like when I first moved here, I had gone down to visit my family. And I was going to drive straight through and I ended up just being exhausted. And I called him at like 11 o'clock at night and I was like, hey, man. I crash on your couch. He'd only ever seen me in person like once before this. And he's like, yeah, I'll meet you at such and such gas station. He's just following me home. Yeah, Jermaine, uh, Jermaine's a great guy. Um, That's really I awesome. think Jermaine might be overstating me a little bit, <laughs> which I appreciate. It's all part of the mystique. But um, 
I don't know. I, maybe I'm just not aware of uh, my reputation preceding me. Uh, well, it's difficult so. to always know the effect that you have on people. And I mean, as far as the, you know, the inspirational aspect of all of this, I mean, I do follow you personally and the Oh Yeah various pages. Um, so I do see the kind of stuff that you post. On my, any social media that I'm attached to, I try to only post the stories that are positive. It just so happens that the type of store we are and the type of stores that attract me the most um, remind me very much of like Bandstand on Main Street. It's, um, it's where people go to gather. It's where the best events are held. It's where people celebrate and commiserate. Okay. Anybody who's done any type of comic retail, and I know that you know this, knows that uh, uh, any decent comic shop employee or owner is uh, you know, part retailer, like part clerk, part bartender, part therapist. <laughs> yeah, you know. very much so. The store I worked for in Florida and then later on uh, our IAS, we see teenagers grow into 20-somethings and get married, have kids. Or we've seen families that have kids and we watch their kids grow up. Um, we watch you know, middle-aged people you know, go into older age and, and sometimes pass away. It's something I, I talk to retailers all the time. Um, every store has at least one incredibly socially awkward customer that a lot of stores like they see him walking in from his car or her walking in from the car and they're like, Oh God, here they come. And it's easy to default into that. But what you have to remember is you very well may likely be the only positive interaction that person has in their weekly life. You may be the only good conversation. You may be the only person that gives them the patience to be who they are. You may be the person um, that kind of helps them come out of their shell. And that's not a small thing. That's not a small responsibility. Um, and a lot of people blow it off. And, and, and not to say that I haven't in, in my time too. I'm sure that I have. But um, I always try to keep that in mind. And so do Art and Franco. And so does Kurt and Mike and, and Christy. Like all the people that I work with. I work with some really spectacular people. We, we want to make the sale, but the sale is always secondary. The sale is always second to the moment. You know, it's funny, as you're talking about all of this, you know, this idea of community, that's why, uh, you know, my comic shop experience meant so much to me. It's the reason why there's this podcast and why I'm, I'm talking to you here and why I wanted to get a larger view of the, of the greater comic shop community, you know, in various places across, across yeah. the country. Um, what's interesting to me, though, in hearing you talk about everything that goes in, because again, these seem these are very conscious choices that you're making as far as how you're interacting with people and, and sort of this goal of cultivating that sense of community and making people feel comfortable. I think we ultimately achieved something very similar at Alternate Realities, but maybe went about it in a different way. I, you know, I'd have to ask Steve uh, Odo, the former owner in particular, but I don't know that, you know, this was ever something he was consciously trying to cultivate. I think it happened by virtue of of the way he is and, you know, those of us who were behind the counter and just, you know, that those dis discussions that got started on a Wednesday. Um, but it's interesting to kind of see, you know, how you might have gotten to the same destination, but in, in, in different ways. And I've, I've talked to Steve about this. We've discussed you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> it, no, no, no. You, you come for, off great. For the record, I, Steve's awesome. I, 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 uh, he's, he has, over the last two years since we first met him, has really become one of my favorite people. Um, I love how straightforward he is. And the only way that I could possibly describe him is probably the most lovable curmudgeon I've ever met. Have you met Jay Mizell? I haven't yet, but everybody oh. keeps talking to me about Jay. <laughs> I have some of Jay's comics here in the store for sale. It's funny. I haven't met Jay yet, but I will one day. 
So your time in Florida came to an end, and you moved to Chicago. I did. To open the first All Yeah Comics yes. location. Yes, with and Art. beautiful, beautiful downtown Skokie. <laughs> with Art and Franco and Kurt. Uh, Kurt came on a little later. bit later on. Okay. Um, uh, but yeah, with Art and Franco. And it was just more personal things, I think, that, that made me want to leave Orlando. I'd, I'd been there my entire life. I hadn't lived anywhere else. I hadn't really traveled anywhere else. And I, I, I kept going up every year to either Wizard World Chicago or to C2E2. That's where Art is. Art's just outside of Chicago. Franco's here in New York. And I went through... It's like a really just a terrible year. I was miserable at home. I wasn't I wasn't happy at work, you know, whatever. So I started it's it's funny. I'm in an issue of Tiny Titans. I'm in issue twenty eight. It was the last issue, if I'm not mistaken, that Art was still drawing physical pages before he went digital. And I'm in the book and Todd's in the book and Dan DeDio and Jeff Johns and Art's wife Rose, like and our friend Jimmy, like we're all cameos. But I have a speaking line. I get to say, Ah, Titano, the giant gorillas. He's Destroying the city. I actually own that page. It's here in the store. Cool. We got to get a photo of that. <laughs> and it's uh, the day it came out was a Wednesday, obviously, New Comic Day. And I never go home on a Wednesday. I live for New Comic Day. And I went home that day. I was frustrated. I don't even remember about what. But I was frustrated to the point where it was the first time I was really thinking, I, I need to leave Florida. I need to leave my, my girlfriend behind, my family behind, my friends behind. I need to strike out and have an adventure on my own. And uh, Art called me. And he goes, uh, hey, hey, uh, hey, Brother Bear, because that's what they call me. He's like, uh, what did you think of that Tiny Titans issue today? I was like, oh, I haven't read it yet. He goes, oh, go over to the shelf and get a copy. And I was like, I'm not at the store. And he's like, what's wrong? Immediately, because he knew. I'm not at the store. Something has to be wrong. And I'm like, nothing. Why would anything be wrong? He's like, it's New Comic Day. You're not there. And uh, I, I kind of I played it off. And he's like, no, seriously, you need to tell me what's wrong. So I, I was like, yeah, I'm thinking about leaving Florida. And he's like, oh, wow, that's interesting. Okay, I got to go. I have another call. He hangs up on me. And then uh, two minutes later, Franco calls. And he goes, so you're thinking about leaving Florida, huh? I was like, okay, good news. Travels fast. And he's like, you know what we should do? We should open up our own comic book store. Famous and, last words in, in, uh, in other situations, but clearly it worked out for you guys. Uh, it, it, apparently, they had had discussions before about wanting to open a store. Franco had, had actually co-owned a store in the 90s, too. But the thing is, like Franco, in addition to writing several comics, is also a full-time art teacher. Art is a full-time artist and a full-time dad. Neither one of them has time to run a comic book store. And they had discussed before, it would be great if we got Mark on board, but he's never going to leave Florida, and we don't want to put it in Florida. And the minute they heard that I was willing to move, they jumped right in. And uh, so, yeah, famous last words. So, so basically, when they realized that I was willing to leave Florida, they asked me where I wanted to go. And I had just come back from C2E2. I love that show. Um... Chicago has some of my favorite places that I've ever been. So I was feeling Chicago pretty hard. Chicago, and, I love Chicago. There right. aren't many places. I've never been to any place that I thought to myself, oh, I'd rather live here than New York. But Chicago's the closest. I was, I was so excited to move to Chicago because I wanted to live in a place that had seasons. And then I was even more excited to move to New York because I wanted to live in a place that had seasons and hills. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you can walk around here and there's just random rock outcroppings and, and things. And Chicago's not it's the Midwest. It's very flat. So, yeah, I, I lived right off the lake. Um, and where is Skokie in relation to Chicago? It's it's the – at the northernmost, northernmost tip of Chicago, it's the first suburb. So, like, you cross over and all of a sudden you're in Skokie. Yes. Yeah, no, I was curious because I, I will be in Chicago in October. And I've already lined up a couple stores out there to record with. Oh, where are you going? 
uh, Challengers. Yes. And First Aid comics. Uh, first Aid. First, uh, Tom, Tom and Susie are great. Uh, and Challengers. Uh, Patrick and Dow. Uh, yes. That is that is Eisner Award winning Challengers comics and conversations, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, Challengers came uh, highly recommended from our mutual friend Greg Shegel. Yep. And uh, so I was excited to set up with those stores. But uh, if Skokie's that close, I will try to get to the Oh Yeah location S- out there. Skokie's probably maybe thirty minutes from Bucktown, which mm. is where Challengers is. That's but doable. I mean, you're always welcome. Yeah, I could do that. Challengers was the store that Art was getting his comics from before we opened up. So when we opened, our grand opening was going to be Free Comic Book Day, but we didn't get our Diamond account until after the Free Comic Day books had been ordered. So we actually ordered all of our Free Comic Day books through Challengers. So like right from the very beginning, Challengers was very much like on our side. Very, That's very great. cool. So. And how'd you guys settle on Skokie as your location? <laughs> um, Art and I went driving one day, and we couldn't decide anywhere. Like We're like, wow, this is really great. So I decided that I was going to move up to Skokie first rather than try to find a location and then find an apartment. I'd find an apartment, uh, probably burn through a little bit more savings than I had wanted to. And uh, at the time, my girlfriend uh, came with me for the first month, and we drove around every day. And the Skokie location was one of the first ones we looked at, and we just kept coming back to it. Um, It's 300 yards from the library. It's really close to the train station. And they seemed like the, the people at Village Hall seemed very interested in building up that area. We have since moved our store like Oh, that's right. You guys did move. Yeah, we fairly moved recently, right? Yeah, yeah, 3 months ago. Um about 200 yards up the street and around the corner and it's it's night and day. Like the the little strip that we were in, like that little area was just dying for us. And our store was having a, a ton of trouble. And we moved it. And obviously we're still kind of playing catch up here and there because, you know, small businesses and that's the nature of it. But it's night and day. It's it's a completely different level of of Foot traffic. Our previous neighbors were a dry cleaner and a very fancy European furniture store that we're fairly convinced is the front for the Russian mob. And our new neighbors are a candy shop and a coffee shop, and we're right next to a parking lot. So it's it's much. And we're right across from Skokie Theater, which is one of the oldest theaters in the country, actually, uh, to show moving pictures. Oh, that sounds like a really cool spot. So when you open that original Skokie location, what time period are we talking? Like mid two thousands? We just oh no, we just had our fifth anniversary and oh. we celebrated that in March. Oh okay. So we we opened on February twenty eighth, I think, the year that we opened. Okay, so still relatively young. Oh yeah, still relatively young. And this this location here, um, oddly enough, we opened on July twenty eighth. So we're coming up on our second anniversary here. We're going to celebrate that on August twenty sixth here in the store. So so now. Oh, you know, so again, you had had the experience working at a store, and and then you go from that to you know opening your own store with these partners, building a store from the ground up, as opposed to stepping into something that had already been established. There's a certain freedom to not having a boss. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I have people that I answer to as far as financial decisions that we make, but at the at the core of it, I don't have to ask anybody. Hey, I want to order ten of this trade paperback, or I don't want to order any of that issue. I don't have to ask anybody that. They give me a lot of leeway. Um, but it's all the stress tends to be mine too. Um, not to say that my partners don't shoulder some of it because of course they do, but the entire, the way we structured it was so they are, they are able to be hands off. Like they have other things to do. Um, so they're here to help. Um, but not necessarily like Franco is very, very involved in this store. Um, but I think that's because he like proximity wise, he's a little bit closer to this store than art is to the Chicago store. Um, but it was it was a bit of a shock to the system, really, because I was so used to having to kind of fight for everything that we did in the in the Orlando store. We never did, we did, very rarely did signings. Um, 
there was a lot of um, just like community-based stuff that, that I wanted to do that we really had to kind of fight for that I don't have to here. And uh, so it, it's really good. On my worst day, when I'm at my most stressed and we're we're you know making sure we're paying bills and I'm making sure I'm ordering the right thing and I have you know maybe a few poor customer interactions, I'm still my own boss. I still work in a comic book store. I, I'm not roofing uh, in Florida somewhere. I'm not digging a ditch in Louisiana, you know. Uh, so it, 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 it's all about perspective. But it was it was a real a real shock to the system to all of a sudden not have to have every decision be tug of war. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I mean, we've talked about this a lot on the show, but, um, you know, at least during the time that I worked, most of the time that I worked at Alternate Reality, Steve was the sole owner. And, you know, we there were those of us who worked there, but, you know, we only had so much say. And, you know, we, <laughs> on and off the podcast, always talked about things that we wished we could have done or we wish Steve had done. Uh, I can imagine it probably would be a shock to the system if I either opened my own store or Steve had just been like, here, go nuts. And then it'd be like, yeah. all right, put your money where your mouth is, smart guy. <laughs> well, and, and, and the downfall to that is like, I mean, yes, you get the glory if the idea goes well, but you also get the blame if it doesn't. Yeah. Um, but that's as it should be. Um, uh, we haven't had too many things that were like, oh, God, this just totally didn't work out at all. Um, you know, because we've been doing this for a while. When did the decision come to open a location in New York? About two and a half years into the Skokie store, we had an opportunity to have our friend Kurt Wood come down from Wisconsin. And Kurt was really like the only person that I would have trusted to hand that store off to um, at the time. Um, he's been doing it as long as I have. Um, smart guy. Um, super personable. Very funny. He's a very dry wit. Um, uh, and, and we had an opportunity to bring him down. We couldn't afford to have both of us at the same time. And we had, we knew that we wanted to put a store here because this is where Franco was. And every time the Skokie store was doing like this signing or that event, you know, it was great, but Franco could never be there for it. We wanted to make sure that we had a store near him as well so that he could, you know, first of all, so we could exploit having Franco as one of our partners, but also the, so he could share in a lot of things that we were doing day to day. And, um, so I, we probably rushed it a little bit, but it was, it was the timing in order to get Kurt. So we had Kurt come down, and I moved out here, and Kurt took over that store. Um, Kurt has since moved on. Um, he's living in Wisconsin again. There's um, some family reasons, like he had to leave us. So we've promoted our guy, Mike Lynch, is now the general manager there, but Kurt is still our partner. I mean, I know at various points we floated the idea to Steve of, oh, like, wouldn't it be cool if there was a second alternate realities location? His, his response was always that it would just be more of a headache, more, you know, more work. Um, it is at times, uh, Absolutely. And then, like our the Muncie store, Christy Blanche runs that one, and she she does everything. I mean, she's very much like me, where she works almost seven days a week. Um, they're closed one day, where we're not. We're open seven days a week, so I'm here every day. And yeah, so speaking of the Muncie store, so that was previously a store called Alter Ego Comics, correct? It that, was, yeah. That Mark Wade had bought into. Yeah, Mark and Christy bought into that store. Um, so Christy and Mark Wade used to be together. Um, they are not any longer, and Mark has you know since moved back to California, and, and Christy has assumed like sole ownership of the store. So, oh, okay, I see. Yeah, but, but Mark is still a co-owner of this. He location? is, but I mean, he's a, about a as, as as silent a partner as could be. Like when we talk, everything's awesome because he's a great guy, but he's also the busiest person I know. So, right. uh, which is saying a lot. Um, but so, so that had like, previously been uh, Alter Ego. Yes, and then they joined the Oh Yeah family. Yeah, they changed. We moved them just over two years ago to a new physical location in downtown Muncie. It's a much nicer shop. And um, they had had a break with the original owner of Alter Ego, 
who they had become partners with. They had a break with him and Mark owned the store at that point. Um, so they re- they wanted to kind of distance themselves from that drama. And, you know, we've been friends with Mark and Christy for a long time. So we, they just franchised out. Cool. I mean, a lot of us within the alternate realities community, myself included, uh, are big Mark Wade fans. We're fans of his writing. And he did an interview with Comic Book Resources uh, around the time that Alter Ego became Oh Yeah, Muncie. Uh, and there was, there was one thing in particular that a lot of us uh, honed in on. And, uh, you know, he was talking really about the, you know, the nuts and bolts of, of being a comics retailer. And the, the interview overall was, was very interesting and insightful. There was one thing in particular he said that um, he said, what you sell on a Wednesday should cover your diamond bill for the week. And then what you make the rest of the week is profit that you can reinvest to grow the business. He got that line from me, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, so that perfect. Was, that, so then, that came out of one of our first conversations. Then you're um, really the person to talk to. So I'm just curious. I mean, this is, again, you know, really getting more on, onto the business side of it. But that's something that I'm, I'm so fascinated by. And so if any light you can shed on that, I'd very much welcome it. Okay. So the goal is that your sales on Wednesday match or exceed your invoice so that you're not having to take multiple days to pay for your diamond product. Um, it doesn't always work out. It takes a while to get to that point. But yeah, because it, any, any story, I mean, you've got rent, you've got utilities, you've got to pay people. But like my biggest single expense is inventory on a weekly basis. Everything from, from the three distributors that we use. You know, supplies, we get a certain amount of gaming plus our diamond stuff. So the vast majority of, of any of our income goes towards that type of stuff. And it, and it takes a while to... To reverse it where, hey, I've already got my diamond bill paid for, so what I make on Wednesdays is paying for next week's diamond bill. That's the goal. Um, and it depends. It depends on how much uh, capital you start with. I mean, it depends on your, it depends on a hundred different things. Um, you know, luckily, we're able to pay our diamond bill. We've never been laid on a diamond bill, so there you go. That's a, it's, it's a, a th- over-ordering and under-ordering uh, kills stores quicker than any other thing. Yes, that was uh, certainly an issue that we ran into uh, at AR, more so on the overordering side. But, you know, and, you know, I think we all recognize what a difficult and tricky proposition it can be going through that diamond catalog. Now, in fairness to Steve, I never had to do that myself. He was always the one who handled the ordering. But from observing him and from talking to other retailers, you know, I I certainly, I think, got a sense of, of how daunting a prospect it is. I mean, just in terms of, you know, the volume of material to get through on, you know, on one hand, but then also, you know, trying to predict what sort of demand you're going to have for these various things. Oh, it's, it's so, uh, for those of you listening who maybe have not worked on the retail side of things, uh, previews comes out generally the last Wednesday of every month. So from the day that it comes out, it's roughly about two months until that product starts coming in. We have 30 days to digest that material before we put in our initial order. And then from there, through Diamond, there's a thing called final order cutoff where most of the bigger publishers give us the opportunity to either increase or decrease comics or trades. We don't get to do it with toys except for DC Comics. We can do it with DC. Um, And probably the McFarlane stuff through Image. But when you're doing your final order cutoff, that's about three weeks before the printed stuff hits your store. And that's hey, I didn't order enough of this or, you know, whatever. But the the trick there is you're trying to guess how many you're going to need for the shelf. And at any given time, 10 of your subscribers can walk up and ask for a book that nobody asked for beforehand so you didn't order a ton of. 
like six people could walk up and be like, oh, Harley Quinn's going to be in Blue Beetle number six. Can you put Blue Beetle on my list for me? Like, oh, well, I haven't been selling but five copies off the shelf. And all the, and I had three subscribers before, and all of a sudden now I've got 10 subscribers. Well, I, I hope I can get those issues. Um, it's not as big of a problem with, with like Marvel and DC, but if someone comes in and says, oh, I need Grim Fairy Tales Spirit Hunters number 12, it comes out next week. Gosh, I hope I can get it. And it's um, it's tricky. No, I can imagine. I mean, so, yeah, you know, trying to gauge what that interest is going to be, trying to get your, because you do have your pull list system so people can subscribe and have their books pulled for them. Uh, you know, getting people to update their list. Do you have any system for that? Or is it just more on a case-by-case basis? It's I talk to everybody every week. <laughs> um, we keep a store copy of previews. I do a lot of social media posting about, hey, this book is coming up. It's going to be awesome. We really like it. But a lot of that is me like pounding the pavement uh, every day, all day. You know, so that's speaking more about, you know, ordering in advance. But, uh, you know, kind of on the note of, of social media, I know you do your uh, new release videos every Tuesday, correct? As you're unpacking the shipment, you do a video highlighting the books that are coming out that week. I do the videos. Um, a, because it's an opportunity for people to get to know me better because I try to give them insight into different issues or all different events or, hey, did you see this trailer? Like, I, There's commentary on everything that I do, um, but I don't want to beat them over the head with me. <laughs> so I look for ways to, to cut the video down to less than 30 minutes. And part of that, so I will, pre, I will unpack everything beforehand. I put all the issues in order. I put all the trades in order. I get all the toys priced and ready. And most of the time, I'll go ahead and file all the subscriber books before I even get to the video. Lately, I have been doing the video where I have like special guest stars, like different customers or friends or artists will show up and I'll just make them sit on camera with me. Um, the fun part about the videos is in addition to being informative and it really has increased our sales, uh, our customers can, because it's Facebook live. So our, our customers can ask questions or make comments during, and I constantly am answering them and talking directly to them, which they seem to really like. Um, one of the things that I did early on was, as I would unpack a box, I would just throw it in whatever direction. <laughs> and people think that's the funniest thing ever. So when I stopped literally unpacking the boxes, uh, I will occasionally just have a stack of empty boxes that I can knock over just to make them laugh. Like, hey, you remember when I used to do this? And just knock it over. It's no big deal. Knocking over boxes, a real crowd pleaser. Who knew it? <laughs> yeah. I think just one video, if you go back, that I actually headbutt the box. And, and I think it's like our highest rated video ever. Like everybody just kept went and, and watched that part over and over again. I don't know. I don't get it. So are there any other guides that you follow as you are doing the order form? I tend to not order any of the variants in the initial order. I always do it in the final, final order cutoff. I'm not huge on variants. And I almost never increase my orders to get uh, a variant cover incentive. I, just, I hate them. I mean, I'm assuming there's not much of a demand for them here. I have find hand, people ask for them. I have a handful of guys that will buy like any incentive that we get. The problem is what I find with a lot of variant hounds is they don't want to pay more than cover price, and they don't seem to understand that the incentive portion of things. A really good example is Marvel. Um, actually, they're the best example. Marvel has several different types of incentives, some of the or several uh, and se several different types of variants. Some of them are this is just a variant cover. You can order as many of this one as you want. There's no qualifier, okay? But then you get the, this is a one in 10. You have to order 10 copies of the regular book in order to buy one of these, okay? So a lot of stores will factor in the cost of the 10 books into the price of the one book. The real pain in the ass is the percentage variance. And that's, 
So for Civil War two number one, order 150% of what you ordered for Secret Wars number nine, and then we'll let you order as many of this cover as you want. And they always do it with the Scotty Young covers that everybody loves. And they know they've got you because they know you want to sell those Scotty Young covers. But the problem is for the, the variants that are, hey, order 10 copies of the regular one. Say you have two or three regular ship, like they're called line item ordering covers. Like, hey, there's three different covers that I can order as many of as I want to. You would think that if I ordered three of one, three of one, four of one, that's 10. I can get the incentive. No, they want you to order 10 of cover A. What you order of cover B and C does not count towards that one in 10 incentive. So a lot of stores that I know are just tired of it. They're just done. And... What I find with a lot of those variant hounds is they either don't understand how the system is because nobody takes the time to explain it to them, or they don't care because they can get it cheaper on Amazon or eBay or whatever. So I I actually sat down with several of them and explained why I can't order a lot of that stuff. And I said, I don't want to lose you as a customer. You're very important to us, and I want you to get what you want, but here's why that hurts us. And only one of them was angry everybody else was super cool about it well i commend you for having the patience to explain that in what i'm sure was a very calm and friendly manner uh i try to i mean most of the guys are they're pretty affable so it's that's no big deal but this this particular guy is he like he and he has since left us like we're not his shop anymore which is sad you know you don't like to lose anybody for any reason but certainly not you know but it really was like hey i'm not going to have the one in 500 amazing spider-man i would never order 500 of anything Right. And if I did, it wouldn't be cover price. It's going to be a $500 book. Yeah. You know, this business with the incentives, this has come up, you know, I've, I've already recorded a, a few episodes for this upcoming season, and this has come up in pretty much every episode. It's, it's really baffling to me. And I suppose my question to you, I'm not trying to get you to dump on publishers or anything like that, but, you know, oftentimes, you know, when they have retailer summits and things like that or conventions, you know, retailer breakfasts at New York Comic Con, things yeah. like that. You know, you often hear from the publishers, you know, in this case, Marvel, that, you know, it's always very pro-retailer and they're looking out for the retailer and, and all of that. And then you hear something like this. It seems to me, and I, I guess I'd like to get your take, that there's a bit of a disconnect between that messaging of, you know, we're in this together, we're here to support the retailers, and then a practice like that. No? The, the disconnect, and this is important for a lot of fans to remember, is that generally a writer or an artist or an editor has absolutely no say in what the marketing department is doing. And for a company like Marvel or DC, who is a subsidiary of a much larger company, and on the on the bottom line, the nuts and bolts part of it is, you did X amount of dollars this quarter last year. You need to do 15% more than that at least. And it's this constant struggle of figuring out how to do that. It's it, there's There's a lot of accountability and there's a lot of pressure. You know, I work for Archie, and we do variants at Archie too, but we're one of those companies uh, very much like Dynamite, Boom, IDW, uh, Dark Horse, where it's line item ordering. Like, when we do a variant cover, you can order as many as you want. We don't do the incentives. So, And that, I think, is us trying to maximize sales, but still trying to be retailer-friendly. And not every retailer sees it that way, but most do. Like, most get it. If, they, if there's a cover they just don't like, they just don't have to, they don't have to order it. You know. Yeah, speaking, I know you mentioned, mentioned this earlier, and then it came up again now, and I, I do want to ask you about your position with Archie. So uh, this is a relatively new role, correct? About six months. Uh, so is retailer outreach? 
Yeah, it's it's basically just you know either online or in person. It's just talking to stores and making myself available to answer any questions that they have. I've I've really met a lot. Of, so I know way more retailers now than I did six months ago, and I already knew a pretty decent amount. But I I've talked to so many more, and you really see the very like the vast differences in how stores do things. You know, you've got let's say 2,800 accounts in North America, and basically what you have is 2,800 different ways to screw in a light bulb. Have there been any business practices that you've come across, either part of your new position or not, um, that, that have really stood out to you? There was a photo that went viral in our industry recently of another store, and it was a gentleman that sat on the floor with a, like a two-foot stack. They will be the next episode of My Comic Shop History. Yes. Um, and what that stack is, it's subscription books that have not been picked up. That is the fastest way to kill a store, is to uh, have subscribers that don't come and pick up their books. And it doesn't matter how diligent you are, how, how vigilant you remain as far as like calling them to get their stuff. Everybody has to cancel subscribers and put books back that they don't want to put back. Um, and I would imagine that that... I'm sure it was not just one person's subscription. No, no, no. Uh, I'm sure it was several people's. Um, I'm a tyrant about that stuff, man. I, <laughs> I can't imagine you being a tyrant I'm, about I'm, anything. I'm, I'm, well, that I'm tyrannical in that if I haven't seen them in 30 days and they have, if it's a double shipping book, you know, if they have two issues of Batman in there, then by the time the third one comes in, I will have emailed or called. I'm super polite about it. But I tell people when they sign up, I reserve the right to freeze or cancel the file. And that's because I don't want to go out of business. Um, the store I worked for in Florida, um, we let people go for three months before we called them. Then we would call them two or three times. And then we would freeze them and hold it for another month or two. So you've got half a year's worth of books there. And and it's, a, it's bad enough if it's one person. But if you've got 15 or 20 people like that, that's $1,000 worth of books sitting there. That's $1,000 worth of your cost. That is literally it's 10 $100 bills sitting in a box. That you didn't get to buy more trade paperbacks with, you didn't get to buy uh, Batman fidget spinners with, or whatever is hot, like whatever you can turn for a quick profit, which helps you pay for the things that sit on the shelf a little bit longer. Um, that's that's you know a thousand dollars that you didn't get to pay an electric bill with. That's a part time employee for a month. That's crazy, and um, it is it's kind of it's like the fastest way to kill a store. And so I I tend to be really um, very on top of that. I guess maybe not tyrannical, but. I'm very cognizant of, of that happening. Um, we just recently passed 100 subscribers at this store, which is kind of a milestone for us. That's yeah, sub- subscribers are 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 the life like the the backbone of a store like us um, because our foot traffic isn't what say Midtown's is. So like we don't have a ton of people in Midtown New York walking in to pick up stuff off the shelf. I sell more single issues to subscribers than I do off the shelf. I sell a lot of graphic novels off the shelf. Um, so we try to take care of them by making sure we're pulling the books on a regular basis and they get a small discount. But a lot of it just comes down to they also help inform um, how our customer service is. We try to be as helpful as possible. It's not just about the selection. It's I try to remember everybody's name. Anybody who walks in the store gets a hello. Anybody who's leaving the store gets a goodbye or have a good day or a joke. I have a, a bunch of one-liners that I say all the time. I'll, I'll, I, I know for a fact that you've heard me say it. It's like, hey, your total is 2607, but for you. It's 2607, which is just, it just makes them laugh a little bit. Uh, or, or, you know, and we say, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, you know, oh, yeah, have a good day, things like that. So it's, it's just, you know, every store does it, does it differently. We try to be as, as, as um, personal as possible. And just to play devil's advocate for a moment, I'm not saying I believe this, but I, I just want to put forth the question. Is there any value 
you know, as a comic book fan, you go into a store. Is there something to be said for that little little element of danger? Like you don't know if you're going to get yelled at or not. Is there any value to that? Or <laughs> obviously that's wow, not the I've, approach you've taken I've, here. I've never thought about that. Um, <laughs> I, I've never. Wow. Let me think about that for a second. Um, no. <laughs> I, well, I guess, I, you know, have you ever had a friend that you pick on? And that you allow them to pick on you, but sure. that's like the—that's kind of the, the tenant, the central tenant of your relationship. Right. It's—it's it's never God. Why are you picking on me? It's you don't really have to to worry until the person stops picking on you. Um, yes, I, I do have some customers that like we rib each other all the time, and I think that that is a certain portion of why they come here. But I don't think that they ever expect me to like yell at them. <laughs> And I think, you know, uh, you know, as I'm asking that question, I'm thinking, of course, of Steve and of, and of Jay Mizell. And I think in both of those cases, even even when they did get testy with customers, usually there are people who knew them and knew what the deal was. Oh, yeah. It's not like he's going to, like, on a consistent basis, just start randomly yelling at the person the first time they walked in, although maybe that has happened. Um, <laughs> yeah, actually, I know that's happened because he's told me that. Um <laughs> And you know it's it's that the old adage the customer is always right that is not that is not correct. No. So, sometimes the customer is not right. Sometimes and sometimes the customer is mean. Um, I have had tense moments with customers. I've only ever yelled at a customer once, but he was stealing from us. Oh, um, was it here or when it was other? here? It was here. <laughs> it was here. Yeah, I walked around the corner. Uh, into the graphic novel section and caught, uh, it was like a 17-year-old was putting two graphic novels into his coat. And it was literally like, I had already greeted him at the door and I had already told him my name. I was like, hey, you know, my name is Mark. If you have any questions, give me a holler. Then I wait a few minutes for him to walk around. And then I, you know, I left the desk because I don't just want to sit behind the desk the entire time someone's here. And I walked around the corner and, and it was, it was, I switched in mid-sentence. It was, hey, if you have any questions or need any suggestions, are you stealing from us right now? Uh, like, like, except for that I might have thrown an expletive in there and, um, he just froze like I was going to hit him, which of course I'm not going to lay hands on a customer, but I, I was just about as, on one hand you're upset because like they're stealing, which is unnecessary because the kid's rocking a hundred dollar sneakers, you know, and a, and a $200 coat. He doesn't need the money that he's getting. First of all, like how much money are you going to get for selling a copy of Watchmen? Like, Oh you know, you can just picture him lifting his coat open and he's got Watchmen copies, you know, just like, hey, you, you need a graphic, I got the best graphic novels there is, yeah, what's up? And, uh, but to me, it, it's a little bit more because it's my store. That's my copy of Watchmen you're stealing. You're stealing from me. You're stealing from my partners. You're, you're stealing something off the shelf that I cannot then sell to the next person that comes in looking for it. And that is where I get upset. Um, and I gave him... I gave him a choice. I said, we can do one of three things. You can either pay for it and I will allow you to take it. You can put it down, leave my store and never come back. Or I can hire two young ladies to beat you up and embarrass you in front of your friends. <laughs> what option did he did he choose? Uh, he put it down calmly and got out as soon as he could. Hmm. So, I, uh, Yeah, there's that. <laughs> in beautiful downtown Harrison. Beautiful, down, beautiful downtown Harrison. You know, sometimes... You know, kids that age, sometimes I guess they just steal stuff because they can. You know, I, I had friends that did it when I was a teenager. Uh, I don't, you know, I don't get that mindset, but there you go. 
So as you were setting up the store, I kind of want to shift and talk about the the layout of of this place because I know you know a lot of thought goes into it. So as you are deciding what the store is going to look like, how everything's going to be laid out, exactly what you're going to be stocking and in what quantities, I mean, what are the factors that are that are driving you? I mean, I know just to describe the store for the listeners, and certainly, you know, you, you can go on either of our social media pages and, and see photos of the store, but it's, you know, it's it's very open, it's neat, it's organized, it's bright. Uh, we have nice wood floors, not the disgusting carpet that we, we used to have at Alternate Realities. <laughs> and that is one of the reasons we chose this particular location, too. Uh, so all of our, our walls are primary colors. It's yellow, blue, red, and green. Uh, we have stars all over the place, and we have mascots, uh, the Aya mascots, Action Cat and Adventure Bug. So our one partner, Art Baltazar, does the, he designs the walls, uh, which dictates you know, what we're going to paint and where. And then from there, I decide what the slapboard's going to go where and where I'm going to put different racks. Um, one of the things is I want things to be wide open and bright and clean all the time. Um, I, I, it's just more inviting that way. It's warmer. Uh, also, I don't want to work in a pigsty. Uh, you know, I, I, I will say that I do have a special place in my heart for, for very cluttered stores because the store that I went to as a kid was very, very, like, I mean, you really had to be very careful how you walked. Um, but I'm a big guy and I don't want to trip over stuff. And, uh, so that's just me, I think. Um, but a lot of it is too, like I said, you know, when I worked at Acme in Florida, we had wide aisles, like we, cause we were, you know, you gotta be handicapped accessible and, and we wanted to be able to make sure we had two or three customers who were in wheelchairs that came in on a regular basis and we always wanted to make sure that they could get around. So that really informs a lot of our design sensibility too, so that we can make sure people can, can get to what they need to get to. Um, and also, and we've been around for less than two years, so it's not like we're rocking so much merchandise that we would have that kind of, uh, like a labyrinth of. Uh, shelves and boxes and and toys and stuff. I mean, obviously, we we hope to have more one day, but yeah, not right now. Kind of going back to playing devil's advocate again. So at Alternate Realities, you know, and this has been discussed at length on on the show in the first season in particular. But um, ours was a cluttered store. There was a lot in there, and. You know, for those of us who work there, I think we always hoped for, um, you know, for it to be a little more organized and streamlined, easier for people to find things. There were a lot of things that were that were buried or had signs that said, do not touch because, you know, Steve wanted to hang on to them and go through them at a later date. Yeah. You know, there was a lot of that where I think we were, I keep saying I think, but I, I know, I, I mean, <laughs> there's no secret about this. You know, we hope that things would be turned over faster. So, you know, if we got a new collection of books and that they would be processed and put out yeah. as opposed to, you know, kind of put aside and then possibly even forgotten. But the flip of that is, that is that opportunity for discovery. Like people can come in and they, there's stuff for them to dig through. And I know a lot of fans and a lot of customers like that. Some might be turned off by that and they want it to be, you know, e more e easier to navigate, but others do like it. So for you, I mean, where, how do you draw that line? How do you find that balance between having enough for customers to sink their teeth into and spend a good enough amount of time here while also not getting too out of hand? Well, a lot of it is that you have to build up over time. Um, you know, we just, you know, we started with uh, a certain amount of like our own personal collections that go into the store, but it's not like I personally had. 30,000 books or anything and uh, you taking those collections over time so really a lot of it is you have to start with the newer stuff the stuff that's easily ordered now like that's accessible now and the things that are coming out on a weekly basis and then you work retroactively uh, retroactively from there taking in collections you know comic books statues toys things like that so when you were opening if you know I don't know if there had been more capital to work with at the start would, would you have 
invested in back like you know back issue collection or collections to have a back issue bin section from the start probably not uh, it's it's um it's a good opportunity like back issues can really just be found money um you know your profit margin is going to be higher on back issues and collections of toys than anything else because you can buy a little bit lower um, and when you're dealing with older stuff, sometimes it's a little bit more valuable. Um, and you can blow out the stuff that isn't. Like, hey, I took this collection. I've got three issues that are $10 each. The rest of these are a quarter. I'll blow them out. But they're time intensive. Back issues take a lot of time. Um, sometimes they need to be graded. Sometimes they don't. But they need to be put in order. you got to bag them. you got to board them. you got to tape them. you got to price them. you got to file them. You know? And they take up a lot of room, uh, which we have here, which is great. But like our Skokie store is much smaller. Um, well, actually, the, the new location at the Skokie store is almost as big as this one. And the Muncie store is bigger than both of them. But the, our first location in Skokie was about half of this store. Oh, okay. Yeah, you do have a fair amount of space to work with. Yeah. Uh, you know, we talked at the top about how I, you know, I sold some of my trade paperbacks to you. Probably about three long boxes worth, yeah. uh, right as you were opening. And then not long after, I contributed to, uh, I, I don't know, is it the... In- most of your statue selection. The vast majority of our statues are yours. They're here. And, and and they don't sell as fast as I would like them to. And I think that part of that is because we don't have them. They're not in people's faces. Like, they're kind of low. Um, and that one showcase doesn't actually have enough room to put all of them out. So over the next two or three months, we're going to be looking at getting rid of that showcase and replacing with, like, tower showcases where we can light the showcase up. We can get the statues up at eye level. Um, I can get the boxes a little bit better displayed. And that, I think, will move more of them. Yeah, uh, I mean, because you've been selling them for me on consignment, which I very greatly appreciate. And uh, people, come on, there's some great statues here. I'm trying to buy a house. Come and buy some statues. Come on now. Come get some of Anthony's statues. That's, that's good stuff. I saw you put out a call for Pops. Now, I'm, I'm kind of curious because we've you know we've had on the show uh, the owner of Undiscovered Realm, and that's another store in the area, and yeah. they, they do a lot in terms of pop. Nice guys. I've only met yeah. them once or twice, but they were super nice. Super nice. Chris and Saab and, and, and the other guys. But I'm just curious. I mean, do you feel there's enough enough separation between the stores where you would want to get into that territory? Or is there any fear that we've, if people want pops, they're going to go there? I send people there. <laughs> I said, I said, it's just like Modern Myths isn't too far from us, and I send people there for gaming. You know, the the thing with uh, with them is that, like, the two things they do a lot of is Magic the Gathering and, and Pops. Like, nobody in the area does either one of those things as well as the two of them. So I like to be able to send people there when it's stuff that I don't have. But the the Pop Vinyl stuff from Funko, um, they're, they're a lot of fun, and there's a lot of different licenses, so it can appeal to a lot of different people. It, they're, you know, we call it bite size. Like, they're 10 bucks each, they're 11 bucks each. That's a quick upsell. Um, so somebody comes in and buys their $17 graphic novel and they buy an $11 pop, they're at almost 30 bucks. Um, the, the call that I put out for pops is, was just one of several that we're going to be doing. Like I, it's not just pop vinyls that I want to take in on collections. I want to start taking in more toy collections. I want to start taking more statue collections. I want to start taking more comic collections. I basically just want to increase the amount of stock that we have. Um, most small businesses are not super cash flow rich. So the easiest way for us to take them in and the way that allows me to give a little bit more to the person trading is like to do store credit. And with us, the store credit doesn't ever expire until they use it. So the more collections I take in, the more likely it is that later on they're going to see something they want. There you go. And it allows me to give them a little bit more than I would be able to if it was cash. Right. No, that makes sense. We've spoken a lot about the atmosphere here and about creating a you know, welcoming environment for people. But just to specify, people in general, but especially kids. I mean, I know it's definitely a big part of your business to create a family-friendly atmosphere. Absolutely. I mean, you know, uh, and you know, half a wall here is devoted to to the kids section, which some stores don't even have any kids section, or yeah. if they do, it's it's very contained. And I know here it's it's extremely prominent. 
Uh, and I actually always feel like we don't have enough. So we're going to be increasing that even more over the next few months uh, and rearranging a little bit here and there too. Because I love those shelves, but they're AR shelves. Uh, they were some of the shelves that he gave us. And well, I love but, them because they're free. Oh, we did paint them. And they were a pain to paint too because they didn't, uh, they didn't take the primer very well. And they have totally served their purpose, but they've now like outlived their usefulness to me. And I want to trade them out for something else. The kids and families who come in who, you know, I mean, I don't know to what extent, if any, you're able to turn those into subscribers. I, I do have um, several families where the kids are, are part of the subscription. I always put it under oh, the nice. parent's name, though. So in case they stop coming in and I have to call them, I'm not <laughs> calling their eight-year-old kid. Like, I'm calling the parent because it's a little awkward. I um, talk to Billy. <laughs> Hi, can I talk to Susie, please? This is Mark from All Your Comics. Um, no, but I, I will say not as many subscription customers, but definitely quite a few regulars. Like we do have families that come in on a regular basis without a subscription and do buy single issues and graphic novels from us. And they buy in the series. Like, you know, generally if you get them for bone volume one, you're there for nine volumes. So, um, over time. And one thing that I, I really wanted to ask you, so you've been here now coming up on a couple of years. Mm-hmm. What surprised you about this market? That <laughs> I have a really good answer for this one. Summertime. Um, summers here are a little counterintuitive for me because we get very slow walking traffic wise. Our subscribers still come in, the events still do pretty well. But as far as just like random sales, we don't do as many. And to me, that was a little odd. And we weren't expecting it. And we opened up in the middle of the summer the first time, so it was it made our, it made our opening very difficult. That was your was that your soft opening, and then you did the official launch yeah. in, in like October. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. But um. But even like last year, right. during the summer where we actually had a full summer, it still wasn't as effective. And what I have found because I'm used to the summers being super busy in Florida, and what it took me a little while to realize is here in Westchester County, New York, people go on vacation, they go away. Or they send their kids to summer camp for like weeks on end. So they go away. They're not here. I'm from Florida. That's where people go on vacation. <laughs> That's where people send kids to. So, or, and then plus all the tourist attractions. So we were used to, like, I just, after 10 years, you're just used to summer being busy all the time. And then, you know, our summer here, the first one was just very, very slow. And if I had any hair, I probably would have torn it out. Um, this year, it's a little bit different because we can plan. So we're, we time our events a little bit differently. We order for the kids' sell a shelf a little bit differently. Like we're going to be putting together like packs of books, like camp packs. You know, hey, come in. You don't even have to think about it. We've already made your selections for you. Buy it. Send it to your kid. It's all good. And I do have a bunch of parents and a bunch of grandparents that come in. Like Mark, what do I need to send little Billy? You know, little Susie at at at, at camp. And uh, that makes all the difference. But yeah, that was that was something that kind of caught us off guard. Uh, and here in Harrison, there is no outside of Wednesdays which is always busy because it's a new comic day. There is no discernible pattern as to which day is going to be our busiest. Sometimes it's Saturday. Sometimes it's Monday. <laughs> the only thing I can tell you for sure is it's never going to be Tuesday because everybody knows, why would I go on Tuesday and new comics come out tomorrow? So, I mean, looking into the future, what uh, what are your goals either for this store specifically or for the All Yeah brand as a whole? Basically, you know, we, um, we had a pretty rough year in 2016 for the Skokie store. Now that we've moved it, 
We've had a staff shakeup. So a lot of it is, is basically just um, like getting your feedback under you and, and making sure that you're that you're standing on a really good foundation. So a lot of it is just squirreling away a little bit of money here and there, um, making sure that you're spending it on the right advertising. Um, doing constant social media is really, really important. Like I actually have a daily checklist to remind myself to do certain things a certain amount of times. Like I, I make a certain amount of Twitter or Instagram posts per day. Um, I make sure to change our banner photo a certain amount of times per week because I know how the, the Facebook al- algorithms change. Uh, I set little goals for myself, like, hey, we're at 100 subscribers, I wanna get to 110, and I wanna do it in a certain amount of time. Or, hey, we have 1,600 likes on Facebook, I'd like to get to 1,700, but I wanna do it by the end of the month. So it's little goals here and there. Uh, so for this store, I really want to, there's a few displays that I want to switch out for newer, more comprehensive things, but a lot of it is just building up our stock. Same thing at Skokie, is, is we really want to probably double the size of our kids section, double the size of our graphic novel section. Here, I'd really like to start taking in a lot more toys. It, it makes a lot of sense. I have a really yeah, extensive with, background in toys, so yeah. um, I, I want to be able to use that knowledge. And with kids. Oh, yeah. Well, it, it, it's funny. We, we, well, we sell just as many <laughs> to the adults as, as anything. Brand-wise, um, we're trying to, the three stores, like, communicate a lot more often to make sure that we're when we do events, we're mentioning the other stores events uh, that we're shouting at each other a lot more. So people realize it is a larger company. It is a larger brand. Um, the one thing I love about comic book stores uh, and that even in a chain, each store has its own identity is, and the thing that we try to engender the most, and this is that community aspect is I want us a, a customer to think of this store as their store. You know, when we do an awesome event and we have a really cool signing, um, I want people to be like, Oh, you missed the signing at my store. Oh God, you, like you need to come and check out my store. Like we, we, this is their home base. This is their base of operations. I want you to go and visit all the different stores in the area because everybody's got different people, different events. They've got different stock, but at the end of the day, we're your base. Like we, I want you to come back to us, and um, and that's really important. And we do that with selection, and we do that with service, and we do that with atmosphere, and we do that with stock, and and that's an everyday, all day grind. Like that is something that happens all the time. But I have my days, too, where I feel a little beat up and a little yeah. burnt out. I don't think anybody who works as many hours as I do or as many days in a row as I do doesn't face that. And there are times where, you know, if you read a, a title that you love and you've loved for a long time and all of a sudden it's just not as good as you remember it being, that takes its toll, too, you know. Uh, but I still have to plow through that stuff. You know, two ninety nine, three ninety nine, four ninety nine for a comic is not it's not cheap. So... And our customers have a, you know, everybody's got a limited budget, basically. Nobody can walk and just buy everything they want. And so part of my job is to help ferry them through the minefield of these are books that I think you probably wouldn't like as much or I don't, like me personally, I don't feel like they're as good. I think you would like this better. Um, And in order to do that, I have to know what's going on. Right. Yeah, because I've heard, you know, sort of competing schools of thought on that. Some who say, like, it's impossible to stay on top of everything, especially when you're doing everything else, if you're primarily a one-man operation. But then others say, you know, you really do need to read everything so that you can, you know, speak about it, you know, in a knowledgeable way to customers. How do you handle that when, you know, you're doing your new release videos or someone comes in on a Wednesday? I mean, ultimately, you are, you know, you're here, you're a business, you're here to sell comics and make money. If there's something that you're not really into, is it just a matter of, like, maybe not highlighting it, highlighting it as much in a video or, or like you said, telling someone, you know, this might not be for you, but something else might be. I mean, what's sort of the way around or reconciling the business aspect of what you do and the fan aspect of what you do? You can always pivot to something you like. Um, a really good example is that it's like, I tend to, 
I tend to not ever trash an artist or writer that I don't care for their work. Um, it's always, okay, well, that's not my cup of tea, but if you dig that, let me give you a few more suggestions. So while you want to be honest, you can do so tactfully and diplomatically. And if you're somebody who's keeping up on the different books as well as you can, then there's always something you can pivot to. It is an interesting dynamic to be sure uh, within the industry from, you know, publishers to distributors to retailers to customers, creators, uh, the interplay, you know, among all of those parties. And it's, it's been great to get your perspective on this as someone who's been, you know, in the retail industry for such a long time and, and behind the counter, the boot, you know, the boots on the ground. Uh, is there anything else that you would like to say? Anything else I didn't ask you that I should have? Anything else that, that you people really need to know about? Oh, yeah, that we haven't touched on. I think we've covered everything. Um, God, we love what we do. We, and we love comics and we love people who love comics. So I can't see myself doing anything but this for the rest of my life. I'm going to die behind the counter. It's going to be awesome. And then when I do, I'm going to have them stuff me and set me up next to the counter with a sign that says staff picks. Well, I think that's quite the note to go out on, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> I don't actually think I'm going to have them do that. They should bury me. <laughs> well, to everyone listening, uh, if you are local, I do encourage you to come down, check out uh, Oh Yeah Comics in Harrison, or if you are in uh, Illinois or Indiana, check out the other locations. Yep. And uh, be sure to follow uh, Oh Yeah on social media. we got Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Yep. Uh, OhYeahComics.com. Uh, for this story, it's backslash Harrison. Uh, so you know, give us a follow. If you ever have any questions or want any suggestions, drop me a line. Uh, I'm hoping that he edits this pretty heavily uh, because I ramble quite a bit. But thanks for tuning in uh, to any of the stories that are coming after me. Uh, you're awesome. And uh, for Anthony, thanks so much for having me uh, on your show and doing it here in the store. You're awesome. Yeah. No, you are awesome. Thank you so much for being part of this premiere episode of My Comic Shop History. Thank you to everyone who listened. Keep tuning in. My Comic Shop History will be back with Pack Rat Comics in two weeks. Next week, it is the series premiere of my brand new podcast series, Flat Squirrel Tales, Beyond My Comic Shop. So be sure to stay tuned for that. Subscribe on iTunes. It is a separate podcast, so you'll have to subscribe to that one in addition to My Comic Shop History. Uh, and we'll see you back here in two weeks. As always, don't be a flat squirrel. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of My Comic Shop History. If you want even more My Comic Shop History, head on over to flatsquirrelproductions.com and sign up for my newsletter to receive a special bonus episode recorded exclusively for subscribers. The episode features former Alternate Realities owner Steve Odo and myself. Be sure to subscribe. Remember, hesitation kills. <laughs> <laughs>